Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. Beloved, this week our reading comes from the Gospel according to John. Written somewhere between the end of the first century and the beginning of the second century, the Gospel according to John stands apart from the other three Gospel accounts of Matthew, Luke, and Mark. In fact, if you ask most biblical scholars what is the distinctive mark about John's Gospel, most of the time they will simply answer everything. Um, And that's only a slight exaggeration. For while some of the basic story um, is the same, which is being told, more than 90% of the material in John is without parallel in the other three Gospels. John is unique in other ways. It concentrates the ministry of Jesus on happenings in and around Jerusalem, while the other three Gospels focus on events around Galilee. In contrast to short sayings of Jesus in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Johannine Jesus delivers long philosophical discourses. Finally, in John, Jesus talks mostly about himself. He talks about his identity as the one who has come to reveal God the Father and what it means to believe and abide in him. Loving and abiding in Jesus, salvation as abundant life, the presence and function of the Holy Spirit, all are major themes of the gospel according to John. Indeed, John, right from the beginning, presents itself as a gospel of a different color, so to speak. So let us turn now and hear the eloquent opening words of a gospel that Origen, a third century church father, called the first fruits of the gospels, and my beloved Augustine of Hippo called the gospel of the spirit. A reading from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was a light to all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, whoever believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, are of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, 
the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all, all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. May God add a reading to the blessing of this word. We don't have the choir this morning, so I'm going to need your help. God, in all your tender compassion, the dawn from on high, it will break on us. Shining on those living in shadows, Guiding our feet into the way of peace. You will guide our feet. You will guide our feet. You will guide our feet into peace. Once more. You will guide our feet. You will guide our feet. You will guide our feet into peace. that one when the sermon series is over. One more week, one more week. Um, just want to say thank you again for, for being in worship with us um, on this holiday weekend. Uh, the sermon is only three hours long, so you will be out of here by one. <laughs> Come on, what are we, Baptists? Um, <laughs> See, I just have to make sure you're awake before I get into it, because I got really dry humor, and I got to make sure that you can, you know, pick up on it. Uh, we've almost made it home on our road trip to Bethlehem. We have visited the sea, the river, the desert lands, the hill country, the fields, and now we are rounding the street corner, passing through the neighborhood. In scripture, the neighborhood is the hub of daily life. People share life together. They do life together in this very tangible, utilitarian way. 
The physical neighborhoods or, or villages in the time of Jesus consisted of maybe a few acres with a few hundred residents. Homes were gathered around a, a town square of some sort where the neighborhood also had a well for water. These physical neighborhoods were surrounded by fields for both crop and livestock and were fairly self-sustaining units. Each village had a carpenter, a potter, a shoemaker, and families had a few of their own animals for milk and food. And everyone relied on the crops and livestock in the fields for sustenance. Sometimes people from the quote-unquote big city would pass through. Once a year, the people might leave for the annual Passover pilgrimage to Jerusalem, but ultimately you live the entirety of your life with the people in this village or, or neighborhood. You relied on the people within these few acres for food and goods and services. Our scripture reading describes how the word became flesh and lived among us. The message translation of the Bible says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is what we just yesterday celebrated when God came to us in human flesh through Jesus. In our modern world, this is a day we celebrate. Today, Christianity makes up 31% of the population with almost 2.4 billion self-proclaimed Christians. Christianity is the largest religion of the world and has so much influence that every year around this time, our society debates whether saying happy holidays as a greeting to others instead of Merry Christmas diminishes Christmas somehow. On this week, we gathered on the eve of Christ's birth to be in sacred community together, the holiest night of the year, joining billions of Christians across the world to celebrate. We forget that the Holy Family thousands of years ago hid from the fear of Herod, of the world, at Christ's birth. I have this amazing tape recording of my grandmother reading the Christmas story I don't know what we were reading then, but that's us. Uh, that's my grandmother and me in something similar to this, actually. Um, she passed away uh, about 20 years ago and uh, it's a sacred possession of mine, this recording. I love listening to her read this holy, sacred story. Um, and it is holy and it is sacred, but when you pay attention to the story, the, the Christmas story, um, you might have this sort of like, huh, moment. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It's like when you suddenly pay attention to the words of nursery rhymes, like Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, had a great fall, and no one could put him back together again. That's messed up. <laughs> right? It's raining, it's pouring, the old man is snoring. He got into bed and bumped his head and he couldn't get up in the morning. How are these children's nursery rhymes? The Christmas story, similarly, is kind of a, a messy story too. There's hardship, there's uncertainty, loss, fear. A vulnerable baby born to a displaced refugee family fleeing violence. Thousands of years ago, the Holy Family hid from the fear of Herod and of the world surrounding them. And the persecution persisted for hundreds of years after Jesus's crucifixion. The Gospel of John gives us a clue as to why Jesus was such a threat, even as a baby. Our scripture today reads, Jesus was in the world, 
and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. Jesus came to what was his own, his own, his own physical neighborhood or village, and scripture says his own people didn't accept him. In the Christmas story, Herod isn't just one guy fearful of Jesus, but his fear comes to represent the fear of Jesus' own people who do not accept him, but why? Jesus is born into a culture where you're supposed to go into the family trade and contribute to the neighborhood in some sort of tangible way, and instead Jesus goes off to minister. Jesus' identity is also wrapped up in this rich ancestry. Jesus is a descendant of Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Judah, David, Solomon, all the way to Joseph and Mary. Jesus is not just a member of his immediate family or of his neighborhood, but he belongs to this lineage that has been vital for generations and generations of Jewish people. You honor your mother and father because they've brought you into this history, this lineage. You commit your life to this village, this neighborhood that is part of the whole, the history and the continued story of the Jewish people. Jesus disrupts all expectations for who he's supposed to be during his life and ministry. When Jesus encounters the fishermen during his ministry, he calls to James and his brother John in the boat with their father Zebedee. And scripture says, Jesus tells them to follow him. And immediately they left the boat, their father, and, and they followed Jesus. They leave their family and their role in it to go follow Jesus. At another point in Jesus' ministry, when someone comes to tell Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you, Jesus says to the man, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. He names the disciples as his family. So what then makes a neighborhood. If you let go of your, your physical home, your family and role, who is your neighbor? If you'll remember the lawyer trying to trip Jesus up in the gospel of Luke has the same question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with the story of the good Samaritan. The Samaritan who Jews were not supposed to engage with is according to Jesus, the fallen Jewish man's neighbor. So let's recap the ways Jesus disrupts the world he's born into. First, Jesus tells a people steeped in lineage and participation in a collective history of Jewish culture to leave family behind and follow him instead. Second, Jesus redefines family. As our scripture tells us today, all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Being blood related isn't what is valuable. Being children of God is the defining marker of family for Jesus. And lastly, Jesus 
breaks wide open this idea of neighborhood. It isn't a physical village and not necessarily associated with a family unit of any kind. The neighborhood becomes this collection of people who believe in him. The neighborhood that Jesus participates in and fosters are filled with people who choose to be in relationship with Jesus, Jesus's chosen family. The term chosen family, I don't know if you, if you have heard this before, but uh, originated out of a need for underground queer communities in the last couple hundred years. Space for LGBTQ persons to feel safe and feel chosen when many of their identities were hidden from their families and their wider communities. Chosen family is a, a space for those who come out and um, are rejected to find community. I and so many of my LGBTQ plus pastor friends feel such a, a deep kinship with Jesus because Jesus flips this idea of family values on its head. He certainly doesn't fulfill the norms of marriage and children. Jesus redefines family and community for himself when he realizes his family and his neighborhood don't get it. I've often wondered what it was like for Jesus growing up. So many LGBTQ plus people growing up in religious families, knowing that their families aren't going to get it, pray to God, look, let me be anything other than this. Did Jesus ever call out to God as a youth saying, look, they are not going to get it when I tell them. None of this is going to make sense to my family, my community. Let me be anything other than this. And then Jesus navigates this process, as I know I did in my life, where you realize this is who you're created to be by God. So naturally, the next step is asking yourself, who is my community? Who are my neighbors? After global Methodism voted against the full inclusion of LGBTQ plus persons in 2019, there was a lot of anger justified coming out of progressive Methodists. And after a couple of months of sitting with the result, I knew I didn't want anger to turn to hate. So one day I reached out to someone on the Wesleyan Covenant Association, that's the theologically conservative uh, wing of Methodism, told this person who I am and said, you know, the story here is that we're supposed to hate each other and not see each other as human and I don't want that story in my life. For an hour and a half, we listened to one another's call stories to ministry. She was sensitive to ask how I identify so that she could use the correct language. She asked what it was like to come to a place of feeling a call to ordination, given my LGBTQ plus identity. She told me how random people told her that she's hateful. And there was this moment where she said, look, I know I'm talking to a poster child for bullying, and I know your life is hard. I've never experienced what you have, but it's possible that I understand bullying too. We laughed about things pastors encounter in ministry. She, twice my age with 21 years of ordained ministry behind her. She told me 
that I could never be her pastor. And I told her she could never be mine. We need from our pastors what the other can't give. We prayed together, and that was about two and a half years ago. Last week, I got a text from her that read, my husband, the high school US and world history teacher, retired from teaching to follow his dream of becoming a trucker. (laughs) I am now the wife of a trucker. To which I responded to like my wife's horror. She's right here. This is what I said. I always thought that if ministry didn't work out and I never got married, I could make a great trucker. (laughs) I don't know why that's so funny to everybody. Your life on the open road, you're just like thinking. Um, And then I sent her this Colorado themed uh, trucker hat to to her husband, to Steve. We went back and forth for a while. She thanked me for being excited about this strange thing that her husband decided to do at 60 years old. We have this odd friendship that on paper it isn't isn't supposed to work. She doesn't believe the same as me, but society has convinced us that if we don't believe alike, then we can't be in relationship with each other. Now, Do hear me when I say that there are some people who don't believe alike and they spend their lives harming others, and that will never be the will of God. A harmful relationship will never be what God wants for any of us. But it is a myth to say that we cannot be in relationship with someone who believes differently from us. We can choose to do life together and hold that above all else, because Jesus says our neighbors might come from the unlikeliest of places. This friendship I have is is weird, and it's messy, and beautiful, and we choose to do life together in this weird way. When I think back to Jesus and who he chose to do life with, and who chose to do life with him, the disciples were kind of a mess, honestly. These were not like perfect yes men for Jesus. If Jesus was looking for some pristine examples of discipleship, these guys were not it. Half the time, maybe 75% of the time, they have no idea what Jesus is talking about. They question him, they mess up, but they do choose Jesus. And Jesus chooses to do life and ministry with them. Our neighbors aren't always the people who on paper believe X, Y, and Z just like us. They can be, but we're not limited to them. Our neighborhood shouldn't consist of the yes men. Our neighborhood is made up of the people who challenge us and grow with us. The kind of neighbors, the chosen family Jesus talks about are the people who take us in our messiness and wonderings and they meet us in those spaces. They drive us up a wall sometimes. (laughs) They do life with us. They're the ones who meet us in all of our vulnerabilities and aren't afraid that our lives aren't perfect. They aren't afraid of being clear about the differences between us, and they don't let those differences come in between doing life with us. Our neighborhood should be filled with people who let us 
be exactly who we are and allow us to become people who give permission for others to be exactly who they are. Who's in your neighborhood? Who are you a neighbor for? Arguably the authority on neighborhoods, Mr. Fred Rogers, said, I've, I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Maybe it should really be that simple. Who's invited into your neighborhood? Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.